I'll begin reading in verse number 8. And so Colossians chapter number 3, verse number 8. I do want to give a public thanks to uh, both Pastor Johnny and Pastor Ethan for filling in for me last Sunday while I was sick. Um, I got a chance to watch uh, the live stream and make a bunch of notes on things we need to fix on the live stream. So that was my opportunity. And um, But I, I the the... The men really did a good job on delivering the Word of God, and I'm grateful for that. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 8. The Bible says, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Today I want to go ahead and pick up this second message of this little series on forgiveness. I want to talk about the practice of forgiveness, so let's go ahead and pray together if we could, please. Lord in heaven, I thank you for allowing us to come together. Thank you for these few moments where we can share the Word of God. I pray that you strengthen me, help me to be able to do what you've asked me to do today. Not only give my body strength, but give my mind clarity. May I be able to speak those things that you have allowed me to be able to study and to be able to see through these last few weeks. Work in hearts, Lord. The message that will be preached today, the words will fall on ears, but it's only the Spirit of God that can take it to the heart. And I pray that every person would not be just a hearer of the Word, but also a doer. Whatever it is that you ask of us, may we follow through. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a story this week about a man that was bitten by a rabid dog. The attending doctor told him that rabies was not only incurable, it was also fatal. So the physician recommended that the dying man go ahead and get his house in order. Both of them, shocked and silent, the patient just sat there. After a period of time, that doomed man requested a pen and paper. So when he got those things, he began to write fast and furiously. About an hour later, the doctor came back into the room where the patient was and found him still writing feverishly. The doctor said, well, 
I'm glad to see that you're writing out your will. The man responded, this ain't no will. It's a list of all the people I'm going to bite before I die. (laughs) There may be some of you here today with the knowledge that you need to forgive others. And while the desire may be there, there's just no will to move forward on it. You've got a lot of hurts. There's many people that have alienated you and have bothered you from time to time. And instead of walking forward in forgiveness, you have allowed yourself to become bitter. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote these words, Forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. I think of how precious the Word of God is for us when it comes to the issues such as forgiveness. I'm going to quote a verse for you, and then I want you to think about how this verse would be applied to the subject of forgiveness. 1 Timothy chapter 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now think about how profitable the Word of God is for you. It is profitable for this area, doctrine. In other words, the Word of God will teach you what is right. It is profitable for reproof because on the other end of the spectrum, it'll tell you what is wrong. But here's the beauty of the Scriptures. The Scriptures just don't tell you what is right and what is wrong and then leave you hanging. The Bible actually is given to us in such a way that that's where the correction comes in. It tells us how to make it right. And in the case of forgiveness, you and I are able to see two crucial areas that we're dealing with. A couple weeks ago, I went through the aspect of forgiveness, and we dealt with what forgiveness is all about. You see, forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not sweeping that problem under the rug and saying, well, I'm just going to be a doormat, I guess, and get stepped on all the time. No, forgiveness, really, the root of this word is there is a releasing. Because those who do not forgive are looking to weigh out the balances. There's been a hurt that has been on one side, and so therefore, on our end, we are going to find a way to even the score. And God makes it very clear that revenge should not be on our plate. God takes care of it, and when God takes care of it, He does it a whole lot better. And so therefore, when we forgive somebody, you say, well, I can't forget. God never told you to forget. You say, but it still hurts. I understand it may hurt. But forgiveness is coming through and making a release of that and saying, God, this is in your hands, and no longer will I harbor this and seek to get this revenge. And so today, this passage of Scripture that we've read, though the thrust of this is not primarily about forgiveness, what I would like to do today is take the subject of forgiveness and see it through the scope and prism of Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. 
And I want to note three important things. First of all, the problem of forgiveness. Why do we have such a problem forgiving people? Secondly, the principle of forgiveness. And thirdly, the practice of how to follow through and forgive others and find freedom in Jesus Christ. So let's look at number one, first of all, the problem with forgiveness. Do you realize the problem with stepping forward to forgive is the fact that we rehearse over and over in our minds the hurts that we carry? Let me give you some statements that maybe you have made or maybe you have heard others make. Statement number one, I want you to notice is the problem with forgiveness. I have been deeply hurt. I have been deeply hurt. Please note in verse number eight, I want you to notice these first two words here. And what I'm going to do with these statements is look at these words that are given to us. In chapter three, verse eight, the words anger and wrath. Anger and wrath. Anger is a feeling on the inside that eventually makes its way on the outside. The word wrath is a different word. It actually comes from a word which has the idea of heat that is connected with it. In other words, wrath is this slow-burning anger in our bosom. It is a boiling that is deep down inside that holds such a big resentment for others. And really, when you put these two words together, anger and wrath, you find that many have been hurt by someone and have not forgiven that person and therefore are very angry. And these words, I have been deeply hurt. In fact, here's how I've heard these words, I have been deeply hurt. As a pastor, being involved in counseling, I many times will tell people, you know, you ought to step forward biblically and forgive. You don't understand how I've been hurt. And all of a sudden, that statement of, I have been deeply hurt, is not just a simple statement that is made, but there is some passion with it. And what you notice, there is anger, resentment, wrath that appears. Oh, you may not be an angry person all the time, but when that offending party's name is mentioned, or you're standing in church and they're walking down the other aisle and you start seething inside because you see that person who hurt you. And the problem is, you begin replaying over and over in your mind again that hurt. For those of you that have not forgiven, your outburst of anger may not be directed at the offending party, but they certainly are a result of the bitterness you carry. Every so often you'll have temper tantrums that fly out. has nothing to do with the wrongs that's been done. But it's because you're holding something inside. You've not forgiven somebody that all of a sudden innocent parties around you do something and boy, you get upset. Your flare-ups, your uneasiness in going through life suggest that this offending person has more of a hold on your life than you want to give it credit for. But I want to note statement number two now is this. That person needs to pay for the hurt they have done. I bet some of you have said that. I know I've said that before. I want you to notice this word here in verse number eight. 
the third major word is the word malice. The word malice. Now we may not use the word malice a whole lot, but the word malice carries with it the notion of a vicious disposition or it speaks about spite for someone else. You know, all of us have watched a movie where a perpetrator of an evil deed was paid back at the end of the movie and there was revenge. And all of us have a tendency to like those type of movies. Because we say at the end of the movie, satisfaction has been given. That one who did the evil deed has been paid back. And man, that's a great movie. But I'm telling you, it's more than a movie that we watch. Many of us are playing over and over in our minds the great thriller movie of paying back that person who hurt us. And we make the statement, that person needs to pay for the hurt that they've caused me. Conversations with others, while you lay in bed at night, while you sit here in church and try to focus on the message, you play over and over in your minds, sweet revenge. But isn't that amazing that the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. That is, put it aside, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But we say to ourselves, well, God... I, I know how to get back at this person. And it'll be joyful for me to see them suffer. I'm going to cause them the hurt that they've caused me. But God makes it very clear that any vengeance, any payback, if you will, is all in God's hands, should not be in ours. Can I say today that if you're dealing with this idea of malice and that you're desiring a hurt for that person that's hurt you, you are slowly killing yourself because you're allowing that to fester in your mind. Statement number three that often is made, everyone else needs to know how I've been hurt. Notice the next word in verse number eight. It is the word blasphemy. And then I want you to notice filthy communication out of your mouth. How amazing that a person that has been hurt, how deep that goes into the soul of that person. How much that person that's been hurt stews over how he or she will retaliate. And therefore, because this is in the bosom of that person, they have a very hard time keeping their mouth shut. You know what I mean by that? Now don't look at me like you're innocent. I've been there. I wanted to speak about people that have hurt me. I wanted to let others know how bad that person is. I've wanted people to know that that person is a very wicked person and don't trust them with anything. But that's blasphemy. You say, what is blasphemy? Well, a simple definition of the word of blasphemy is a switching of that which is right for that which is bad, if you will. In other words, you remember when they spoke of Jesus and they spoke blasphemous words? 
the Pharisees and the religious leaders were all caught up in giving these blasphemous words. They were attributing things to Jesus that were not true. And I want to say that when it comes to this area of blasphemy or filthy communication, what is this? This is a foul language. It is filthy speech. And I would dare say that some of you today, myself included, when someone has hurt us, we have used some filthy language about that other person. We've used some choice words. And we've not minced our words at all. We've made sure that everyone knows that's a bad person. You find yourself in a group conversation. The name of that person comes up and you respond with something like this. Do you know what they did? Just in case you don't know. Let me go ahead and spill my guts here and let you know what this person did. And maybe we even take it a step further where we cut them down and make sure everybody knows what a scoundrel they are. Let me take the next two statements together. I just put this one on the screen. I'm, I'm too hurt to fix the problem. I'm too hurt to fix the problem. But the next statement is on the other end of the spectrum. I'm dealing just fine with this hurt. Look at the next verse, if you will. Look at the first words of verse number 9. Lie not one to another. Isn't it not interesting he tells us not to lie about this? A person who says either, I'm too hurt to fix this problem. Well, I understand the hurt is there, but with God's grace, you can fix the problem. Or on the other end of the spectrum, look, I'm fine. This is not bothering me. But think of all the other statements that have been made already. I've been deeply hurt. That person needs to pay. Everyone else needs to know what they've done. And then the activity that's in our heart, the anger, the wrath, the malice, the blasphemy, all of it, it is incredulous that a person would say, oh, I'm fine. No, they're lying. There's a lying. There's a falsehood that is going on. But when I look at all these statements, and I want to put all these things on the screen, would you notice a commonality in these statements? Notice this. I have been deeply, what's the word? Hurt. Say it a little bit. Everybody, come on, everybody participate. I have been deeply. Hurt. That person needs to pay for the hurt that they have done. Everyone else needs to know how I have been. Hurt. I'm to, hurt. to fix this problem. I'm dealing just fine with this hurt. There's a commonality. It is the word that you've emphasized. It is the word hurt. Now today, as I went through these things, I don't deny the fact that you have been wounded. I don't deny the fact that this offense against you has set you back, that you are in pain. Can I say today that as I preach this to you, I have had to recognize through the course of my life there have been many hurts in my life. There have been many things that have happened in my life that I have had to really swallow hard and focus on God and forgive others. But the sad thing is that far too many of us stay in the realm of our hurts. We simply lick our wounds and become bitter against the person. And ultimately, we're not scripturally handling this in a proper manner. This is where you and I need to take hold of the simple principle that I'm going to give you next. And I want you to notice the principle of forgiveness. And I want you to look here at verse number 8, and I'm going to give you two words. Notice here, it is the words 
put off. Look now down two verses later in verse number 10. It is the words put on. Now the principle that I speak of today is quite simple, but yet it is profound. And may I say to you today that if we talk about the principle of putting off and putting on, it can only be done in the power of Jesus Christ. It is an acknowledgement of who you and I are in Jesus Christ and what He has saved us to do. Go back to the first verse of chapter 3 and notice what Paul says here. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Now we use the word if oftentimes as a conditional word. But in the Greek language, the word if is not a condition. I might say this idea and substitute this word, since you have been risen with Christ. The idea is that since you've been saved, the fact that God has forgiven all your sins, you now have the ability to live for Him. How many times Christians that have been saved and all of the baggage in the world, all of the things that they've been involved in, they come into the Christian life as if they're handcuffed. My friend, I want to tell you, Christ broke the shackles. Christ took the handcuffs off. Christ broke the chain. And therefore, the power, the ability to live for Jesus Christ now becomes a recognition And there is a putting off principle, but there has to be a putting on principle. The putting off principle is like this. It is a getting rid of the old habits. What old habits? Well, in other words, what are the excuses that you're putting out not to forgive? You may have been able to take hold of one of these statements that was made, but I want to tell you something. Whatever it is that you're putting up and saying, well, I can't forgive. Nobody knows the hurts I've been through. Nobody knows the pain that has caused me inside. I'm going to tell you something. Christ knows the pain. Christ knew the pain when He went on the cross of Calvary. He took every sin upon Him. He took every bit of the wickedness of this world upon Him. And He understood. And yet, as a principle, Jesus looked at those soldiers and basically said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How powerful. But get rid of the old habits. In other words, quit buying into the mindset of this world. Stop listening to your co-workers, your relatives, your friends, and start doing what God's called you to do. That's the putting off principle, but the putting on is important. What do I need to put on? i got to put on the Word of God. Why do you think I encourage you on a regular basis as a preacher to be in the Word of God? To let the Word of God dwell in you richly because you and I need this. In order to get away from the garbage of this world, the philosophy of this world that says, no, you don't need to forgive, you can't forgive, it's impossible for you to do that, you and I need the Word of God, put it on so that way we can do what we need to do. That's the principle of forgiveness here. Getting rid of the old habits, renewing your mind with holy living. 
I think one of the things that you and I need to go ahead and do oftentimes in regards to being able to forgive is some of you got to come to a place where you forgive yourself. There are far too many Christians I talk to on a regular basis who say, well, preacher, you know, I've, I've tried to forgive others, but I tell you, I can't forgive myself because there's been a lot of wrongs in my life and there's been a lot of things that I even have done and I can't forgive myself. Now, while I'll tell you there is no Bible verse that specifically addresses self-forgiveness, may I say this? That if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, or you've sought forgiveness on a certain matter, then you have to rely upon the truths of Scripture, which are this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So therefore, if I'm saved and God has forgiven me of all these sins, why am I still beating myself up? If God has taken all this away and He has put it as far as the east is from the west, why do I still bring it up and say, well, I just can't forgive myself? My friend, if God has forgiven you, you need to step forward and say, I'm forgiven in Jesus and I'm walking forward in His truth. Number three, I want you to understand now the process of forgiveness. The process. Beginning in verse number 12, I want you to see a new set of words that will help us to do what is needful. In other words, to forgive those who have hurt us. So here's the process of forgiveness. First of all, reflect on the good of the offending party. You say, preacher, you don't know who hurt me. There's nothing good about them. Well, that's what we say in the flesh. But let me tell you, that's somebody that God has created. I see this first action in the word, in verse number 12, the word mercies and kindness. You see, where the world gets you, why you don't forgive is because all you focus on is the bad. All you focus on is the wrong. But there is good to be seen in every person. When I think about Paul writing to a man by the name of Philemon, book of Philemon is just a short one chapter letter that Paul wrote to this man that he had known for many years. And the reason for his writing to Philemon is Paul had gotten caught up with a slave that was of Philemon by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus had run away, had, uh, I don't know if he had taken some things, but he had gotten away from his master Philemon, and he ran into Paul, and now Paul is trying to repair the relationship. And I like what Paul asked Philemon to do. Listen to this in verses 10 through 11. I beseech thee, Paul says, for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but listen, but now profitable to thee and to me. What Paul is telling Philemon is, you may be focusing on all the wrong, but I want to tell you something. This man has some profit to him. There are some things that you can see that are good. And I want to tell you, unless 
you start focusing with mercy and kindness and start focusing on the good, you'll never forgive that offending party. Statement number two in the process of forgiveness. Remember who you really are before God. Notice the next word in verse number 12. It is the word humbleness of mind. (laughs) Humbleness. Humility. I've heard people say, well, I'm the most humble person I know. I think you missed the boat somewhere. We all have this sense that we're humble. But I'm here to tell you something that many times when we don't forgive other people, boy, there's a whole lot of pride that is in our life. What do you mean by pride? Well, there's pride that you have a critical spirit. There's pride that you are better than that one. And you're constantly looking at the, at the slide here and just saying, well, boy, they did that and, and they're here and, and I'm up here and I'm better than that person. And then we are prideful because we're looking at how to justify ourselves, why we don't forgive that person. A prideful person establishes himself as the judge and the jury. And he finds many different ways to condemn. So it's important that we have this humbleness of mind. Number three statement, receive these hurts as from God. Now this is a big one. Receive the hurts that have come in your life as from God. Notice the word that is given here in verse number 12. It is the word meekness. Now, sometimes people slip up and they'll go, well, meekness is just nothing but weakness. People don't understand who I am. I can't believe that they would try to walk all over me. I can't believe they try to hurt me. And I'm not going to let that happen ever again. I'm going to stand up for my rights. Well, we hear that all through society today, don't we? My rights, my rights, my rights, my rights. Let me tell you something. Moses would have done better to live in this day. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. You try living with a million plus complaining Jews. You try feeding all those people. You try giving them water to drink when they're thirsty. You try taking them through the wilderness for that period of time. And Moses, the Bible says that he was meek. What is meekness? It's not weakness. Moses, I think, was a very capable leader, was a very strong leader. But the word meekness has this idea. It is power under control. Power under control. Oh, you may be in a position of leadership and you can squash that person who hurt you. But instead, it is forgiving them And demonstrating meekness because it's power under control. You may have the whereabouts. You may have the resources. You may have the means to hurt that other one. But instead, you accept it from God. Case in point. Biblical case in point. How many understand and know Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph is a great example of forgiveness. Here's a young man, it's estimated about 17 years old. His older brothers sold him into slavery. Now, how many of you have older siblings? And you can know the cruelty. Now, I was an older, I was the oldest. Praise God for that. 
Didn't have to worry about hand-me-downs. Didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. I got to pick on my brothers. But Joseph, being one of the younger of the siblings, was actually not just picked on, was hated by his brothers. He was hated to the point that they sold him into slavery. Joseph lands himself in a country he's never been to before. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't understand the culture. And it would have been easy in this time to allow the hurts of being sold and hated by his brothers. It would have been great for him in this place where nobody else knew him to just seethe in this. To think through, someday if I ever get back to my home, I'm going to get back at my brother's. Well, if you know the story of Joseph, what a beautiful story. Over the course of time, I love it. I don't believe Joseph really started reeling in. I believe he forgave his brothers. And the Bible says that the hand of God was on Joseph. And God, in the period of time, over a period of about 13 years, allowed Joseph to get out of prison and to actually become, if you will, the vice president of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world. God had it in His providence that coming up was going to be a period of great prosperity. Seven years where there would be an abundance throughout all the lands. And Joseph knew this because of the dream that the king had. And Joseph made great great preparations to store things ahead because after the seven years of prosperity would be seven years that would be very lean. In fact, it would be so lean there would be nothing to be able to describe it. And in those lean years, when Joseph's brothers who had sold him out had heard that there was bread in Egypt, they came down there. And do you think it's by accident that the very table that they came to is where Joseph was? I don't think so. And so over the course of the next number of weeks, maybe in months, Joseph brings them through and finally reveals to them who he really is. And then the time comes, the last chapter in Genesis, where Joseph and his brother's father, Jacob, passes away. I almost pictured the scene as I read Genesis. Here's Joseph maybe sitting there in his throne and the the brothers are kind of huddled over in the corner and they're whispering to each other, well, dad's dead now. Do you think he's going to get back at us? I mean, look, he's got all the power of Egypt. He's got the ability to now throw us into prison. We don't have dad to save our hide any longer. Joseph overhears it and I can just imagine now with tears coming down his eyes. And he looks at his brothers and he makes this statement. And I'm paraphrasing. He said, when you sold me into Egypt, you thought evil against me. But I want to tell you something. God meant all of this for good. Because God allowed me, yes, to go to prison and to have 13 years of misery, be misery. but look at where I am now, and I have allowed us to be alive and to be together again. 
Can I say to you that as much as that hurt is there in you, that you don't want to relinquish this, that you don't want to forgive, you've got to come back and say, God, somehow you're going to use this. Is not Romans 8.28 in the Bible? All things work together for good. Now that word all is a small word, but it's all-encompassing. It is all the good things. It is all the evil things. It is all those hurts that God uses. And I'm telling you, today, you are the person you are. Not just because of all the good things that have happened, but because of the bad things. How you've responded. How you've reacted. Number four statement, I want you to notice this. If we're going to go ahead and practice forgiveness, we've got to react properly. This is seen in the last word there of verse number 12. It is the word long-suffering. I like this word long-suffering. It conveys what needs to be done. That is a suffering long. A waiting out and not showing the passion of the anger. Literally, the word means an embracement of steadfastness and staying power. I'll tell you, in these times that you're facing here with whether you ought to forgive You ought to react properly. Number five, receive the word. Please look look at verse number 16. I love this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The word dwell means to take residence in. Let me ask you, does the word of God, does it take residence in your heart? I hope so. The Bible is given, and as we read it and as we hear it, you ought to take notice of things and put them in your life because the only way to overcome the evils of this world is to have the Word of God take residence in my life. Oh, I'm being bombarded on a regular basis. You are being bombarded on a regular basis with the things that the world tells us how we ought to handle the problems. The world tells us to get back. The world tells us to never forgive. The world tells us you can't forgive. But when the Word of God dwells in you richly, the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you and says, you need to step forward and take care of this. But lastly, Look at verse number 14. Repair the relationship by choosing to love. I love this word. The King James translators, when they wanted you to understand the specific word of love that was intended, they used the word charity. Charity. What is charity? What is this type of love? It is literally the highest form of love. Now, if I were to ask you what is love, you might describe some emotion. You might describe some feeling, and that's the way often we think of love, and there is love to be demonstrated that way, but I want to tell you, love is more than that. How many realize, and don't raise your hands, that in the marriage relationship that you have, that sometimes those feelings come and go? Nobody wants to answer. No, I'm just kidding. But truthfully, Sometimes we just say to ourselves, well, I just, I don't feel in love. That's where agape is. I choose to love. I'm going to have the greater good of that person that I love in mind. 
That's agape love. And I'm telling you, this love that you ought to have for this other person is that bond of perfectness. It is that completion. You ought to ask God to help you love. Because I want to tell you something. God loved you and gave His Son, Jesus Christ, and forgave you of all your sins. That's true love. That's the love we ought to have for others. Now, if you're going to move forward and have this practice of forgiveness, can I remind you of something? Forgiveness is not an emotion. Some of you wait for the feelings to kind of get mustered up and say, well, when I, when I feel the time is right, or when I feel good about this, could I say to you that it is not a feeling? It is a choice to make. Today I share with you this illustration and I close. A pastor that I know by the name of Al Price. He was a pastor down at the Naples Baptist Temple for a number of years. And I knew him a little bit, his wife Patricia. They had been married for 43 years. Al had stepped down, had kind of retired and had moved out to Arizona. Was still doing some preaching and various things. But on one day here, November 20th, 2020... Everything changed for Al Price. There was, while they were traveling along, there was a man that had swerved with his vehicle into their lane while they were driving and hit them head on. Al suffered 28 broken bones, including his wrist, collarbone, sternum, ribs, leg, and knee. He had 200 stitches in his face, including his right eye and eyelid, as well as a rip in his pancreas. But the greater sadness is that his wife was killed on impact. As you can imagine, this man who was a preacher, just like any one of us, had a very hard time dealing not only with his own troubles physically, but with losing his wife, and it seemed more than he could bear. I recently heard this story from one of his relatives that my wife and I we were sitting in the living room with this dear lady who is his aunt, and she said, let me tell you what happened at the trial. Al, for a long time, as he's going through the various surgeries and the recovery process and thinking about losing his wife of 43 years, he would grab the Bible and brought it to the trial. And at the trial... He said to the man that had hit them and had caused his wife to go off into eternity, and he said, Sir, he says, I want to tell you something. For a long time, I've hated you. But today, I want to give you my wife's Bible. And his wife's Bible was all marked up and had notes in there, and it was a precious book of Patricia's. But Al, on that day, said, I want to give you this Bible. Give it to you and have it here today. Let's close our eyes, please, and bow our heads today. Can I say to you today that the reason you and I can practice forgiveness is because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior today? If you have... You have forgiveness. And because you have forgiveness, you now have the ability to forgive others. Could I encourage you today 
to make a decision. Either decision number one is you've never received that forgiveness from God and you need to receive it today. Or number two, you have received that forgiveness of God and there are some hurts in your life that you need to deal with. Why don't you deal with it today? Could I ask you these questions? How much has Jesus forgiven you of? Or really, the simple question, the answer is, He's forgiven you of all. Therefore, how much should you forgive? Well, you ought to forgive all. Where do you start? Where do I start, preacher? How do I start? Well, as God begins to bring in your mind now people that have wronged you. People you've wronged. Why don't you start making a mental list? Why don't you start writing them down and saying, okay, one by one, I'm going to start making some notes and I'm going to start making these things right. Are you here today and say, preacher, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior, but I sure would like to place my faith in Him. There's never been a time when I've asked the Lord to come into my heart But boy, I sure would like to experience that forgiveness. I'd like to know that my sins are all taken care of, that I can go to heaven someday. If you're here today and say, Preacher, I'd like to be saved, would you just lift your hand while heads are bowed, eyes are closed? Preacher, I'm not saved today, but I'd like to be saved. Anyone here today? I trust every person here knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If you're here today and there's some hurts in your life, why don't you deal with them? God's already working in our midst. God's already stirring the heart. God's already doing some things. What's He doing in your life? I'm going to ask you if you would to stand to your feet, please. Just slowly and quietly. Just stand to your feet with heads bowed, eyes are closed, and I'm going to pray. And as soon as I say amen, I'm going to step down to the front. I'll be right in the center. And maybe if God is dealing with you about something and you need to seek forgiveness, why don't you come and maybe you can pray with one of our personal workers or maybe you just pray right up front here and lay that on the altar. Give it to God and say, I want to be free from this. I don't want to harbor this bitterness anymore. I don't want this this unforgiving spirit to eat away at me. And I want to give it to God.